Well, thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for tuning in online. Before I jump into Jonah, just let me say a personal word or two. Number one, this is awesome over here in the Baptist Ruth Monica. You have no idea the life change that is occurring in this church, and that's a story, and we rejoice with that. And uh, many more are left to come. And secondly, on a personal, I just want to thank those of you who've been praying for me and my family in the passing of my mom. We've been overwhelmed with love and support, and uh, we did a funeral in Virginia last weekend and another one coming up here in our place for Ohio family and friends. But we, we, we are in such a good place because we know she's in such a good place. And those of you who've lost loved ones, thank you for your grieving with me, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, we've been studying Jonah, and we have covered a lot of ground in four weeks, in four short chapters. How many of you have read the whole book? Let me see your hand. Okay, I can't see you online, but I know some of you raising your hand. These are four short chapters, and there's a whole lot about Jonah that I bet you didn't know. In fact, I've had more than one person come up to me and say, man, there's a lot more to the story of Jonah than just that whale. That's what I knew. And when you run with God, it usually is more to the story. So I was trying to think of a creative way to summarize the story of Jonah besides just the scripture. So I have taken the liberty of writing a rap. I, I call it the Jonah rap. Would you, would you like to hear it? Okay, now be careful, what you, what, be careful what you ask for because this is a white guy from Kentucky with an accent, but I got a hat, I got a cap, I got a wrap, I got Laura with the beat. Oh, excuse me, DJ Hamilton. So if you don't know the story of Jonah, I'm gonna give it to you right here. Okay, you ready? All right, Miss Laura. I like it already. Yeah. All right. All right. A town called Nineveh was doing real sick, giving God no props, making money so thick. They didn't please God, and I'm sure you know it. If you're full of yourself, then that's when you're blowing. So God called Nineveh to come save the day. Tell Nineveh the score, told exactly what to say. Their days were done, God's grace was spent. The town would burn if it didn't repent. I could do this all night. But God didn't listen, said, see you later, because with Nineveh, he was a hater. He said, I'm sad that the city be ailing, but it ain't my deal, so instead he went sailing. Thought I lost my music here for a minute. Sorry. That's all right. I forgive you. <laughs> I can't look that way. So out on the sea, Jonah was chilling. He's just relaxing and being like a villain. Out in the sun, meeting all the honeys, soaking up the rays, reading the funnies. That was pretty good. 
But God sent a storm that's starting abounding. The wind started howling, the waves started pounding. Even though the sailors were strong and prepared with something like this, my boys got scared. The captain said, sailors, you better take note. We gotta lighten our load if we wanna stay afloat. The men started throwing stuff in the sea, but Jonah said, guys, you gotta pitch me. Finally, the crew knew nothing else would help, so they threw Jonah over to sleep with the kelp. That was pretty good, wasn't it? I got it all in. That's right. Pray for me. But God had the situation under control. A wave hit the surface and swallowed him whole. The space was stinky, tight like a cave, wet and nasty. It felt like a grave. That's right. So God called Jonah, if you're saving my life, give me out of this fish, I'll be behaving. I promise you, Lord, I won't ask no question, just get me out of this fish's digestion. I just struggle with that one. I'll be the best preacher you've ever heard. I'll tell them the truth. And God said, word. Then what transpired sounds like a movie, although I'm saying it was really quite groovy. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Groovy. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> Thank God. At first, the fish thought Jonah was yummy, but at the Lord's command, he upset its tummy. So the fish started gagging. He had to cough it. So up on the sand, he puked out a prophet. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> And wouldn't you know it, where he finally landed, it was in Nineveh. It was in Nineveh, just as God commanded. So Jonah started preaching with fire and rage, and in no time, everybody got saved. The conclusion. So if you're running from God, not doing his wishes, you better watch out or you're sleeping with the fishes. There's more to the story, but you really don't need it. If you want to know more, you just have to read it. <laughs> oh my gosh. There you go. I guess I could have one more line. If you like my rap and you think it's funny, I'll do another one, but it'll cost you some money. That's pretty much. I will truly do anything to reach people for Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I can recover from this. But anyway, it's probably going to go viral. You were here first. May not even be done Sunday morning. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for being here, and thank you for sticking through all four chapters. Thank you for reading about Jonah. Let me summarize this prophet's life outside of the rap, uh, because this might be a little bit better. Jonah was, first of all, if we, or you've been with us the whole time, if not, and this is your first time, it may be your last time after that. But we found out, first of all, in chapter one, that Jonah was a proud prophet, and he was running away from God. And then he transitioned to a praying prophet running to God in the fish's belly. He finally got, God got his attention. And by the way, if God can change Jonah, he can change anybody, including you. So here's just a thought. If you are praying for God to change others, 
more than change yourself, you're probably not in a good place. And you're getting ready to be in the place that Jonah was in. Because when you start praying, God, change everybody, but I'm okay, you're not in a good place. But that was what happened. He prayed. He was a praying prophet. But then Jonah became, and Jess talked about this last week, a preaching prophet, a proud prophet, a praying prophet, a preaching prophet who's finally walking with God. And Jess talked about how God gave Jonah this message, and it was a very short message. Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. And that was what Jonah enthusiastically wanted to happen. He was the kind of guy, like some of us, who enjoyed preaching God's wrath, not his grace, not his love. Judgment, oh, he preached that with glee. He couldn't wait for God to, to bring the hammer of judgment down on the city of Nineveh. The Ninevites, if you remember, were the arch enemies of the Jewish people. He hated them. He thought God hated them. But incredibly, after uh, Jonah preached to them, they repented, God relented, he did not destroy his city. So he's a proud prophet, a praying prophet, a preaching prophet, and you would think because God spared the city of Nineveh that Jonah would be happy about that. That would be the end of the story. But Jonah was not happy. He was sad and he was mad, and that's why tonight we see him as a pouting, a pouting prophet, running ahead of God in deciding that they deserve more than what God gave them. See, Jonah had a problem with the job he was given, but he had a bigger problem with the one who gave it to him. This is a discussion he has, maybe you have had it, with God. God, why do you allow good stuff to happen to bad people and bad stuff to happen to good people? And of course, we're always the good and never the bad. We kind of rate it others by their actions and ourselves by our intention. So Jonah here in this story that we're going to cover tonight, Jonah ran ahead of God by presupposing, presuming how God should deal with that situation. Jonah ran ahead of God by putting God in a box, telling God what he can and can't do. Can I just give you a little uh, helpful word of uh, uh, helpful advice for you? Stop telling God what he could and couldn't do. Stop telling God what he should or shouldn't do. I have enough problem with me. I don't need to be telling God how to handle everybody else. So let me show you his story. Put my wrap down here. That's going to be gold someday. Jonah 4. Let me just kind of go through it, give you some applications from this wonderful last chapter of this guy who is running from God, this running man. So God, the end of verse 3, he relented after Jonah's preaching. He did not bring destruction on them as he had threatened. Verse number one, chapter four. But to Jonah, this grace of God seemed very wrong, and he became angry. <laughs> really? Really? God became, Jonah became angry. He is angry that God's not angry. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a story here. I don't know in your life if you have come to the conclusion or not, but I have come to the conclusion that as, as I've gotten a little older, that I, my thoughts, my thoughts, my ways are not his ways. My ideas, my heart, my, my actions are not how God wants it to be. I used to think I knew everybody's problem. And if you just asked me, I'll tell you what your problem is and then your life would be better. <laughs> That's what I thought. And I don't know if you know this or not, people don't respond well to that. 
They don't respond well. We don't respond well when we even know what our problem is. Our life is hard even when we know what the problem is. We don't need somebody else telling us what the problem is. So Jonah comes to this situation and he is very angry with God. And notice he prayed to the Lord. And this is his statement. We're gonna allow you to dip in on the conversation. This almost could have been recorded by this, you know, on the phone, just like Trump and some other calls. You never know who's listening, all right? So we're listening now into this confidential conversation. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? When I was still back home uh, in my own bed with the whale, isn't this exactly what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarsus. In other words, Lord, why'd you do that? If that's what you're gonna do anyway, why did you just not, why'd you put me through all this ordeal? And notice he gives a statement here that really is one of the best descriptors of who God is in the whole Old Testament. Jonah says, I knew, and by the way, I know this too. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Oh, I love this description of God. So, some of you in the audience tonight, some of you watching online, you kind of see God as this judgmental, heavy-handed, judging kind of God who's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong to zap you. I want to hear you say, I want you to hear something tonight. That's not the God of the Bible. There is a side of God that is judgmental, and there'll be a judgment day coming. That, that's why we are so passionate about preaching this message, the gospel of the good news. But his prevailing nature is one of grace, compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity our way. If he wasn't that way, we'd be in trouble all, all day, every day. The reason he gets so angry is because he's so much a God of love. And he hates it when his world is not working correctly, when his, his people are not working correctly. So notice he's repeating this about his, the nature of God. Now, Lord, he says, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Notice Jonah has some mood swings in this chapter that are going to affect him in a mighty way. But the Lord replied with a question, and it's kind of a rhetorical question. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I love it when the Lord asks you questions. Does he ask you any questions sometimes? Uh, why are you doing that? Why are you being that way? Does the Holy Spirit just kind of whisper in your ear sometimes? Hey, you know what? You're, why are you behaving the way you do? Why are you believing the way that you do? Uh, I, I hate it when God a- asks me questions. I, I, it, it's an uncomfortable thing when God saddles up to you in your heart and says, you know what, uh, David? I know you're uh, so concerned about everyone else's sins. You're so concerned about the problems of our culture, problems of our world. What about your problem? What about your sin? Uh, Is it right for you to be angry about the things that you're angry about, David? And the answer obviously is no in this case. I mean, God already knows the answer. He's waiting for Jonah to get the answer, no. And Jonah had gone out and notice he's so upset. He's so brooding, he, he went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He goes out as a pouting prophet and sits down and throws a little pity party for himself. And here's the problem with a pity party, if you ever throw one for yourself. The only person who shows up at the party is the devil and you. I'm just telling you. Pity party. 
Then the Lord intervenes. And notice God does something that he's done in his whole book. He provides something. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Now, remember that thread of providing. He provided a storm. He provided a fish. He provided a, a, a wind here. Now he provides a plant. The Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. <laughs> this is funny to me. Jonah's very happy about the plant. He's not happy that God saved a thousands of people. He's upset about that. What is he happy about? This little tiny plant that's over his probably bald head. Now, I did a little research on this plant, by the way. This leafy plant was a castor oil plant. Uh, very common in their area. It grew up quickly, had broad shade that with broad leaves. It wasn't a hemp plant. I know what some of y'all are thinking, although that might have helped them. It says that Jonah was delighted. I mean, God, finally, God's doing something for him. But at dawn, verse 7, the next day, God provided a worm. There it is, God's providing something else. And this is, the word earlier means a grub. God provided a grub, which began to chew the plant so that it withered. It's just so funny. God says, okay, I know you're taking great joy in that plant. I'm going to send another one of my creation. I had a whale, now I'm going to use a worm. And it's going to eat up that thing that you're so proud about because you're not happy about the right thing. You know, if God can use a worm, you know what? He can use me and you. If he can use a whale, he can use me and you. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. There's the word again. So he's provided now a wind. This would have been a dry wind off the desert. It was a legendary wind that raised the temperature like 15 to 25 degrees, pulls the moisture off of everything. Kind of like Cincinnati right now, okay? No rain, scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So no same song, second verse. Just kill me. I'm, I'm so unhappy. But God said to Jonah, ask him another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? The answer is no. But notice his answer, it is, he said. It is, just very quickly. He doesn't do explain it. Yeah, I should be mad. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Now that's a strong statement. He'd rather die than be happy that lost people are being shown grace and being found. But the Lord said, summary statement of the chapter and of the book. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not, one more question, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? In other words, they don't know what they don't know. I'm gonna be very patient with them because they don't even know, they're like children. And also, and I find this humorous, the last part of the whole book. Also, there are many animals there. God even is concerned about the animals. He doesn't want destruction in the city, just take care of the animals. So I said, well, David, does that mean there's going to be animals in heaven? I don't know. Maybe dogs, unless they bite preachers. <laughs> I don't know. But I find it ironic that this whole book is about a man, but it's about animals. God used a lot of animals 
in this story. PETA people should love the story of Jonah, I'm just telling you, because God used a lot of them. And there, the book and the story and the narrative and the conversation ends with Jonah. So the question is, I wonder how he turned out. What did Jonah say? After all of this conversation, what did he do? What did God do? What did Jonah do next? We don't know. And we come to the end of this great book and narrative and we feel there must be a missing page. We're like, I, I, don't, I think there's more. There should be a chapter five. It ends so abruptly with no resolution. Why does it do that? And I think it's intentional by God to force us to contemplate how we and will, how we will respond when God shows grace to other people that we think is unfair. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion. It invites us to write our own final paragraph and chapter of our Ninevite people we're trying to work with and judge and be patient with and are angry with in our own time and place. In Jewish oral tradition, the teaching rabbis, when they got to this point in Jonah, gave this conclusion. I wrote it down. In that hour, Jonah fell on his face and said, govern your world according to the measure of your mercy, in contrast now to the judgment, as it is said in Daniel 9.9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. That's what the early rabbis said happened next with Jonah. We don't know. I'd like to believe, I really want to believe, that that was his response. I hope it was. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. Many students of the Bible have noticed that in the first half of Jonah's life, he plays this prodigal son, just like the prodigal son in Jesus' famous parable in Luke 15, who ran away from his father. And that's why some people have called Jonah the prodigal prophet. But in the second half of the book, Jonah is transformed to the older brother or son in Luke 15 who is with his father but berates his father for his graciousness to repentant sinners. If you read Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal. It's written to talk to those of us in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, older brother people who are upset that the Father forgives all these people who've royally messed up and how dare they come into our house, our church, God's kingdom, and mess that up too. Where is the punishment? Where is the judgment? God's showing too much grace. And let me read to you the end of Luke 15. This is the exact idea that God, I think, from the story of Jonah wants us to know. Luke 15, the older brother was not happy, the younger came in. The older brother became angry and refused to go in and celebrate in the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he does not like him so much, he doesn't even call him his brother. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. There are two kinds of churches, by the way. Prodigal welcoming churches, of which we are one, and elder protesting, elder brother protesting churches who don't want the prodigals coming home. I can just tell you that with Monica and lots of so many people coming here, 
this is a prodigal-seeking church, which means those of us who are elder brothers and sisters in the family need to understand that it's, it's not where someone is now. It's where they started and how far they have come, and God's not done with them yet. And notice the word of the Father to the Son and to us in Luke 15. My son, the Father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is what? Found. That's the story that God wants us to know about Jonah. So the book of Jonah is about running. Running away from God, running with God, running to God, running ahead of God. It's about running, but it's really about forgiveness. Will we, can we in this church, can you in your life, offer the same forgiveness to others that Jesus has offered and given and granted to you? That's the main question. Is it possible to forgive the one that you don't want to forgive? Let me kind of close with an illustration of that true story. His name was uh, Louis Zamperini. Don't know if you've heard of him. He was a World War II prisoner of war and Olympic athlete, competed in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. There's a picture of him in his later years before he passed. His Olympic career was interrupted by World War II, and Zamperini enlisted in the Army Air Corps. He ended up flying in a bombardier plane, uh, and in May 1943, he and his crew went out on a flight mission over the Pacific Ocean looking for a downed pilot and plane. His plane suffered mechanical failure, and it crashed into the ocean. Of the 11 men on board his plane, Zamperini and two other men survived the crash, but help was nowhere to be found, and they were stranded on a raft together for 47 days, drinking rainwater and grabbing any bird that would come by to eat. One of the men died at sea before Zamperini and the plane's pilot finally washed ashore, and they found themselves on a Pacific island 2,000 miles from the crash site, and worse, in enemy territory, which means they were soon taken as prisoners of war by the Japanese. Zamparelli and Phillips were separated. They were subjected to torture, both physical and psychological. They were beaten. They were starved. Zamparini was singled out and abused repeatedly by a camp sergeant named Mutsuhiro Watanabe. You think rap was hard. Mutsuhiro Watanabe. But they called him the bird. He would tear into fits of psychotic violence. The captivity for Zamberini lasted for more than two years, during which time he was officially pronounced dead by the U.S. military. He was released only after the war ended in 1945 and returned to the U.S. Scarred by his ordeal, so angry was he at his captors that he struggled with alcoholism. He and his wife were close to divorce. He had anxiety. He had hate. But what brought Zamperini back from the brink was one day he showed up at a Billy Graham sermon crusade, a crusade in L.A. in 1949. He heard Billy Graham preach about the grace of God, and he gave his heart, he, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. From that point on, his life was changed. He became an inspirational figure. His life, by the way, served as a basis for a book, which I highly recommend, called Unbroken. It's also a movie. It's a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. He went on to found a camp for troubled youth called Victory's Boys Camp. And more amazingly, 
he wound up for going back and forgiving his Japanese tormentors. Some received Zamperini's forgiveness in person in 1950. He went back to a Tokyo prison where those who heard him were serving war crime sentences. He, he went to the cells and he said, I forgive you. In 1998, he returned to Japan once again to carry the torch at the Olympic Winter Games, and he stated his intention while there to forgive the bird, that one man, the bird, but the bird refused to meet with him. Because he couldn't meet with him and he heard that he might have been, took his own life, he wrote the bird a letter. Uh, you can Google it online and read the letter, and it's a beautiful letter of forgiveness saying, I have found Jesus, I forgive you, and I hope that someday you will meet this same Jesus if you're still alive. Someone said that forgiveness is setting the captive free only to discover the prisoner or the captive was you. How is it that Louis Zamperini could forgive someone like that? It's because he had the heart of Jesus and not the heart of Jonah. See, I think Jonah figured this out. And that's my final question to you tonight. Do you have the heart of Jonah or the heart of Jesus? Are you vindictive and judgmental and say, God, I don't want those people to be forgiven. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how much they hurt me. And if you are not yet where the heart of Jesus is, let me tell you something. You're going to run away from God. You're going to go through your own storm. You're going to go through your own whale experience. And it'll be a whale of a tail. If you're running away from God, I implore you to run to God, run with God. Don't run ahead of God now, presuming yourself to know more than him. Learn from this man and this story. Pastor Tim Keller, uh, in writing about Jonah, observed uh, what I thought was a great observation. He compared Jesus to Jonah. And Keller said, Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm of our life of rage so that we could be brought in and resurrected just like he was. That is so true, and that is so good. And so I want to leave you with this final scripture here from Romans chapter 3. And I speak to me as much as anybody else in saying that I am wanting to renew my commitment not to be Jonah. I want to be Jesus. Because if, uh, if you watch anything on TV, if you watch anything in the media, I am, I am sick, I'm fed up of the arguing and the world of politics. I am sick of the ills and the woes of our world and the abuse and the anxiety. And I have all these wonderful ways to fix it on my own. And I get ticked off when people don't know it. But you know what? I've decided judging is God's job. Giving grace is my job. And he can forgive who he wants to forgive because he's forgiven me. And by the way, he's forgiven you. So this scripture in Romans 3 is about this concept of Jesus being the Jonah for us cast in the sea. But now apart from the law, Paul says, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets, the prophets, being one of them being Jonah, they testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. In the Gentiles would have been people that the Jews said, no way are they getting in the kingdom. Oh yeah, they are. We're, we are. L luckily, God takes the Gentiles because that's us, me and you. 
For all, get this now, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This better Jonah. God presented, check this out, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his patience, his grace, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's the story of the Ninevites. He left the Ninevite sins unpunished because he knew there was a better Jonah coming, a better uh, a person, a better person who could resurrect and heal people, and that person was Jesus Christ. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is profoundly true that Jesus came to the world to save sinners like me and you and Jonah in spite of who we are. And so for all of us living in the city of Nineveh right now, you may not even know this, that God loves you. You may not know your right hand from your left, but you don't, doesn't matter if you know him, he knows you. If you're watching online, it doesn't matter if, if you know him, he knows you, he loves you. And so, those of us in this room, and many of us watching online, are probably can relate and sink more to Jonah than we can to the Ninevites. But I don't know where you are at with your running, but I just implore you one more time, stop running away from God. He wants to bless you, not judge you. He wants to help you, not hurt you. He wants something for you, not from you. And if you'll stop running, he will do the very same thing with you that he did with Jonah, I think, and give him a correction of his attitude. I'm going to pray, and then Laura's going to come and tell you kind of what we have up to bat next uh, in coming next week as far as our teaching. It's no more rap, I promise. Uh, but, oh, uh, isn't that sweet? Aw. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, thank you for Jonah, for his life, for his story. Uh, uh, Father, we've had some uh, good time laughing, but also uh, weeping and being convicted because, Father, we know that we're not all that we're supposed to be for you. And so uh, I pray right now that as we move on to uh, other things to talk about, that the lesson of Jonah and running away from you will sink deep into our hearts. And we rejoice, God, for all the prodigals, all the Ninevites that might be coming home to be with you. And may we never, Father, uh, run ahead of you, uh, run behind you, uh, run away from you. Help us to run to you and run with you all the days of our life in our church here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word NEW to the number on the screen or PRAY to the number on the screen. And we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.